0: What do we have after President's Day? Why, it's Pancake Day! It's,
1: it's Pancake Day, yes it's Pancake Day, yes it's ha, ha, ha. Others
0: may note this 24-hour period as Fat Tuesday, but the real thing to sound off on today is that this is the 500th edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement, which means that fans of Roman numerals might give it a D. I'm Sean Tubbs, and I'll keep going with this experiment until I think it's ready to really start the show. In the meantime, let's get on with the information. On today's program, Ann Malick announces that she will seek a fifth term to represent Whitehall on the Albemarle Board of Supervisors. The regular session of the General Assembly for 2023 is coming to an end, and a look at recent action, including passage of a bill to extend the deadline for Virginia to comply with pollution reductions for the Chesapeake Bay. The Emergency Communications Center for the region reports its statistics for 2022, and Charlottesville City Council is poised tonight to approve half a million dollars for a commercial kitchen. And I take a look back at their first reading. In today's first subscriber-supported shout-out, Charlottesville Community Bikes believes that bicycles can be a means to social change, addressing issues of equity, access, and inclusion. They provide free bikes to adults who need one and have a special program that provides free bikes to children. Would you like to learn more or support their work? Charlottesville Community Bikes currently is seeking matching funds for a grant from the OutRide Fund. Visit charlottesvillecommunitybikes.org to learn more. Anne Malick was first elected to the Whitehall District on the Albemarle Board of Supervisors in 2007 when she defeated Republican David Wyant with 55.64% of the 5,307 votes cast that year. Malik ran unopposed in 2011 and 2015, but faced Republican Steve Harvey in 2019, and she won with 56.7% of the 7,728 votes cast that year. It has been many years since anyone sought a fifth term in Albemarle, but Malik made her intentions known at a kickoff event Saturday at Crozet Library.
2: With encouragement from local citizens and county leaders across the Commonwealth, I declare today to seek re-election for a last term representing the Whitehall District.
0: During her campaign speech, Malik asked those in attendance to note that the population in Albemarle in 1950 was 26,650. Now the population is at 115,495 as of last July 1st. That's as estimated by the Weldon Cooper Center at the University of Virginia. Malik said this campaign will be a lot like her first.
2: Many top issues in 2023 are reminiscent of 2007. As residents worry about rapid residential development increase in population and community services which have not kept up, from missing sidewalks to playgrounds to parks to cost of housing.
0: Malik said that the next four years will include pivotal decisions about the county's future, and she encouraged people to get involved with plans that are underway, such as the review of the comprehensive plan. She said her institutional memory is still needed, especially on environmental issues.
2: Debate will surely continue about the growth area boundary as it has since 1980 when it was created. Our urban services growth area is limited to 5% of the county. Understanding, expanding, excuse me, expanding services costs a fortune. Thus the growth area limits make financial as well as environmental sense.
0: Last week, Supervisor B. Lepisto-Kirtley filed paperwork to run for a second term in the Rivanna District. An independent, David Rhodes, also filed paperwork in that district, but indicated in an email to me that he may step aside if another candidate emerges. Last November, Democrat Michael Pruitt announced his campaign for the Scottsville district seat. A person with an internet talk show has previously publicly announced a bid for the Scottsville district, but so far has not filed any paperwork. Until then, no free publicity. A public body charged with coordinating emergency responses for Charlottesville, Albemarle, and the University of Virginia met earlier today. These meetings are no longer available to review remotely, but the public meeting packet is worth a review. Of the five public safety agencies that participate, the Albemarle County Police Department is by far the busiest, with the most calls in all months in 2022. For instance, ACPD received 5,901 calls for service in December. That's compared to 3,051 for the University Police Department and 2,968 for the Charlottesville Police Department. Overall, in 2022, over 54% of calls for service that came through the ECC originated in Albemarle, with 25.59% from Charlottesville and 20.13% from the University of Virginia. As for people to run the ECC, there was a vacancy rate of 17% as of January 30th, according to the packet. Really interesting stuff in there. If you're interested in this sort of thing, it's all available for you to find. Contact me and I'll help you look for it. This newsletter aspires to cover as much of the General Assembly as possible, but there's not much of a story in the second year of a legislature divided where each party controls one house. There are so many other journalists working on coverage of the General Assembly, but I do like to take a snapshot every now and then. Today is a significant day to do so because yesterday was the last day for committees to take action on bills. Thursday is the last day for both houses to take action on whatever legislation made it through. Saturday is the day all legislators go home until the April 12 session to respond to whatever Governor Glenn Youngkin does with all of the bills sent his way. So let's look at the statistics. As of 8.50 a.m., a total of 731 bills had failed in the House of Delegates, with another 205 pending. Over in the Senate, 383 bills failed to make it out, and 257 are pending. What are some of those bills? Here's a handful that may find their way to a signature pen. A bill to allow the Commonwealth Transportation Board to adopt a policy allowing surveillance equipment and the public right of way was approved by the House of Delegates earlier this month on an eighty to nineteen vote. The Senate Transportation Committee recommended passage on an eleven to three vote with one. Person abstaining. The full Senate dispensed with a constitutional reading yesterday. The bill specifically prohibits the use of data collected to enforce speed limits, tolling requirements, or high occupancy vehicle requirements. A bill to extend the deadline for Virginia to meet the requirements of a pollution reduction program for the Chesapeake Bay passed the Senate on February 17th on a 39 to 0 vote. The original bill would have extended the date from 2026 to 2030 but the compromise is for 2028. The bill only narrowly made it out of the House of Delegates on a 52-47 vote. A bill to allow localities more flexibility for the preservation of green space in urban areas is awaiting a vote by the full Senate. The House of Delegates passed HB 1510 on a 72-27 vote, and the Senate Local Government Committee moved it ahead on a 13-1 to 1 vote on Monday. Legislation to prevent intentional surveillance into buildings made it out of the Senate Judiciary yesterday. A bill to make organized retail theft, a Class 3 felony, passed the House on a 52-47 to 47 vote and is now awaiting action in the Senate. A bill related to the funding of school resource officers will go to a conference committee. HB 1691 would allow flexibility in how law enforcement agencies could use funds authorized last year for school resource officers. This passed the House on a 53 to 46 vote, but passed the Senate on a 34 to 6 vote with an amendment. The House rejected the substitute last week, and the Senate voted yesterday to insist. Another bill heading to conference committee is one that would change the requirements for tenants to sign a statement of responsibilities. It's a lot of detail on this one. Go look at HB 1735. For the details, there's a link directly to that bill in the newsletter. More from the General Assembly in the days to come. listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement and one more shout out for an event that I'm part of on Thursday. Anytime that you do an internet search about Charlottesville, it's very possible that a result will bring up information that came from Seavillpedia. Seavillpedia is a community resource that contains thousands of articles about all kinds of things that have happened in Albemarle and Charlottesville. Did you know that you can make edits? I'm sure that you have something you'd like written about. So why not join the Albemarle Charlottesville Historical Society in the Jefferson Room, the JMRL central branch, for a half a day edit-a-thon from 10 AM to 2 PM on Thursday. The goal is to add more information about anything that happened between 1933 and 2023 to help fill in the gaps for an upcoming radio series on WCHV to celebrate that station's 90th anniversary this September. It's going to be one-on-one demonstrations, bring in something to scan and, you know, come in and learn from me and others who are going to be there about what Sevilpedia is all about. That's tomorrow. And this is the last time you will hear this particular shout out. One more segment today, and we're going back to the last City Council meeting from February 6th. Tonight, Council will have the second reading of a proposal to give half a million dollars to a nonprofit organization outside of the budget cycle for an economic development project. Yolanda Harrell is the CEO of the New Hill Development Corporation.
1: This is uh, BEACON, which is, stands for Black Entrepreneurial Advancement and Community Opportunity Network. Um, and what we are seeking to develop is a shared-use commercial kitchen and incubator here in Charlottesville. New
0: Hill was formed in 2018 with the goal of strengthening the Black community in Charlottesville. Council agreed on a 4-1 to vote in late 2018 to allocate half a million dollars from a council reserve fund for New Hill to create a small area plan for the Star Hill neighborhood. The project was later converted to a vision plan that was endorsed by council in April of 2021. The idea for the Beacon Commercial Kitchen came out of the plan, and a new strategic plan for New Hill puts a greater emphasis on increasing economic opportunities.
1: Essentially what we're saying is, what if? What if we could reduce financial barriers? Um, What if we could create at least 94 new jobs? What if we could add more diversity to the local food economy? And what if we could help stabilize existing businesses and support up to 70 businesses at once in one location members would be able to rent the space hourly or monthly and
0: would not have to purchase their own equipment the kitchen would also help with packing of food products as well harrell said this can save entrepreneurs thousands
1: uh, this project pays for itself the investment that we're asking you to make in it certainly get that back
0: the ask for the city is five hundred thousand dollars with the original idea that half of that would come from contingency funding from the American Rescue Plan Act. The other half comes from the city's Strategic Investment Fund. The project has already received a lot of funding. In late December, Governor Glenn Youngkin announced a $50,000 grant from the Agriculture and Forestry Industries Development Program for the project. New Hill also received an $189,000 grant last summer from the state's Growing Opportunities Fund. That's from the Virginia Department of Housing and Community Development. Chris Engel is the city's economic development director. It has gotten some grants already, uh, but it is in need of some additional uh, funding to get it off the ground. The project would be located in Kathy's Shopping Center, in a warehouse that was formerly where Cavalier Produce was located. The space has recently been rented to Champion Brewing, who subleased a portion of it to Decades Arcade. Decades Arcade is moving to the downtown mall at some point in the near future. Harrell said there would be space for 16 different businesses to work at the same time. Harrell said the entire project will take a total investment of $2.3 million. The Community Investment Collaborative has agreed to a $500,000 loan, and the rest comes from those grants.
1: Right now, our funding gap is about $1.2 million. Um, we want to make sure that this project is up and operational before the year is out because our community can't afford to wait.
0: York Properties would continue to own the property, and the lease will last for up to 20 years, according to Herald. Vice Mayor Juan Diego Wade said he has heard the presentation before, and the funding has his support. When we talk about, you know, we, you know, to kind of mend for some of the past practices of the city in this country, is programs like this, you know, we should support. But this is something that's really going to be a big um, benefit for the city. Councilor Michael Payne said he also supported the project, but was concerned about spending down American Rescue Plan Act funding that still remains. You know, we saw last budget, presentation, we've almost got no money. So just every time we're wheeling away at our unallocated art money, we're just reducing the flexibility we have. And that's my only concern. For instance, Payne said council may need to contribute to help the school board purchase the county's share of the Charlottesville-Albemarle Technical Education Center or supporting a new homeless shelter. Payne suggested using all of the funding from the Strategic Investment Fund, which has already been augmented by $1 million from a previous American Rescue Plan Act allocation. Economic Development Director Chris Engel said there is a timeline to use the American Rescue Plan Act fund, so a decision had been made to pull from that account. However, he said if Council wanted, he could do what Payne wanted and just pull all of the money from the Council's Strategic Investment Reserve. Charlottesville Mayor Lloyd Snook said the investment was appropriate for council to make as a remedy.
2: It helps get at some of the injustice, some of the particular injustice that's associated with Vinegar Hill from 60 years ago. That what Vinegar Hill did was to destroy a community that included a number of small businesses and included a number of um, you know, businesses of this you know, of the kind that would benefit from this kind of of a project.
0: Second reading is tonight. It is not on the consent agenda due to some of the changes requested. And that is that for this episode. Do you hear that sound? Do you hear that? That's the new music from Vraki that I've been talking about. Because this is the 500th edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement. I plan to go for another 500 if I'm able to do so. Rather than look back, let's look ahead and begin planning for where I hope to be then. It has taken since July 16th, 2020 to get this far, so I can imagine it will be at least another two years to get to double. This does not include the week ahead, nor special editions which happen when something big happens. I'm dedicated to being ready to report at any moment. None of this would be possible in the foreground without you reading, or you listening, or for all those who feel this material is worth reviewing. I do not seek to push any agenda, but instead just want to be a reporter doing the same basic work I was doing as a student journalist over 30 years ago. I believe there are good days ahead for reporting, and I'm glad to be part of whatever era we are in, working alongside others in the business As we proceed in this 21st century. Thanks to anyone who has contributed in any way that unlocks a shout-out, and in particular the Patreon supporters. When I knew I wanted to take a risk and go independent almost three years ago, people answered the call. Thank you to Ting for their sponsorship as well. They've been around since 250 or so. They came up with the idea of the unique idea of incentivizing paid subscriptions. If you pay through Substack, Ting will match your initial payment more on ting at the very end finally so much gratitude to rocky for composing much of the music you hear with the exception of the very first opening track which is put together by pj sykes as you might have heard today's podcast debuts two new pieces from Draki, including what you're hearing now which is the m music hopefully from the heart. in general i feel so blessed to get to do this and humbled I always know I could possibly be wrong, so I work as hard as I can to prevent those kinds of errors. I believe journalism can help build community, and that's what all of this is about. Thank you for being part of it, and again, thanks to Ting. If you sign up for a link in the newsletter with Ting, you will get some bonuses. You know what those bonuses are. If you don't, I'll tell you. Call me up. I'll... I'll I'll sing a song about it next time. I just want to get to the end so I can get this produced and get on with the next 500 episodes. I'm Sean Tubbs. Thanks again. Goodbye.